The Right Optics by Silmo. Presented by Nick Koffer. Industry voices, insight and inspiration. From the leading trade show for eyewear and optics. Welcome back to The Right Optics brought to you by Silmo. Ahead of the big event itself, Silmo 2023 at Villepinte in Paris at the end of September. I'm Nick Koffer and between now and September we're bringing you a number of episodes featuring in-depth interviews with people from your industry. This series we've heard from future technology expert Sebastian Brousset, Jean-Philippe Sayag has talked us through the impact of AI and Dominique Royer spoke brilliantly about the optical industry's responsibility to the planet. All three of those episodes are available in French and in English. And today I've got such a great guest for you. Michelle Beach is an optometrist from Nottingham in the English Midlands and she's director of an award-winning practice called Park Vision. She's also a renowned expert in vision for top level athletes. What are the particular challenges that athletes face and how best can optometrists meet their specific needs? It's a fascinating topic, one which we'll delve into in great depth. Michelle is one of a great programme of industry experts who'll be talking at the Silmo Academy at this year's Silmo. We'll have more for you on that in the next episode of The Right Optics, but in the meantime, you can find out about it at silmoparis.com. Let's speak to Michelle. Lovely to have you on this podcast. Thank you. I'm delighted to be here and it's really great to be part of the Silmo Academy programme. Indeed. Now, we're going to be uh, really focusing on vision in sport in this episode and looking a bit uh, at your background. It's no surprise that it's something you've ended up very much specialising in. Oh, that's right. I'm a bit of a sports nut. Um, I'm passionate about sport and passionate that everybody else should get involved with sport as well. Um, I was very athletic as a as a young youngster, um, I've had a few accidents along the way, but yes, um, basketball, horse riding, swimming, skiing, anything that I can throw myself into, I'm always excited to get involved in. Now, what I do know about sports people is that they have different demands, different requirements to mere mortals like myself. It's not going to help, for example, a tennis player much if all you discover in an eye test is whether they can read X, F, G, H, Y at a specific distance, is it? No, that's right. Um, you know, we are talking about elite athletes and actually, um, you know, taking it from the athlete just to a patient in practice, um, you know, something that you might just be reading the board at school or perhaps driving to work is slightly different when you're trying to judge the distance of a of a ball flying at you or as uh, one of the England ladies cricket players said, a brick at 85 miles per hour flying at your head. Uh, you do need to be able to see it quickly. You need to be able to anticipate the depth, um, where it is, how fast it's flying at you. And of course, peripheral vision comes in as well. Um, most athletes are very, very precious about their kit, about the, the, the stuff they use, their, their equipment, their clothing. Um, but if they can't actually see what they're doing, um, it's all a bit irrelevant. So uh, that's where sport vision comes in. Yes. And of course, this isn't just a, a simple question of improving their performance. So for example, that that cricketer hitting a ball or a baseball player hitting a ball or, or, or a golfer seeing the pin. It, it can also be a question of safety, can't it? Because if, as you say, if you've got a, a cricket ball or a baseball coming at you 100 miles an hour, if your vision is slightly askew, you can misjudge that. And that could be on your face. Absolutely, Nick. That's absolutely right. Um, yeah, if you think about it, if you pick up a ball or an object flying at you faster, you are much more likely then to have the reaction time to be able to to, to cope with it. Um, it's all about, think, think about a tackle. If your vision is telling you uh, mistruths and your alignment isn't right, you might think you're going in to do a gentle tap, tap, tackle in football, but actually you plough in there and, and cause a foul. So actually it can be the difference between a great shot and injury, 
It can be the difference between, you know, misjudging a jump, even an, a, a horse rider telling a horse where to jump and then falling off. So it is all about aim, anticipation and obviously protecting the athlete and um, keeping them as safe as possible. So if you're in the Champions League final and you leap into that tackle and it's a two-footed tackle and the referee pulls out the red card, you can't really turn around and say, do you know what? I didn't mean it. My vision's a bit asymmetrical. It's not really where I was headed. <laughs> Absolutely. I think we've all been watching the England ladies um, football at uh, at the moment and there was a few tackles there that I think, um, yes, maybe needed some work. <laughs> it's interesting when you talk about sport though because so much of it is about aim, perception, accuracy and even I as a, as a very much a non-sportsman can see that for example asymmetry in vision can, can lead to underperformance. Yes that's right so our eyes are a binocular system and they need to work together. Um, there are a few sports where perhaps it's not quite so um, important think of something like maybe rowers they were going backwards and also perhaps rifle shooting where it is important obviously to have a great aim, but often if it's a, a static target, then it would just be one eye. But most other sports, we're tracking and we're following either an object, a target, a player, a ball, um, a hockey puck, you think of, about most sports. And so, yes, if one eye isn't al aligning properly, then effectively you're not tracking in 3D properly. So therefore your um, efficiency of um, this elite binocular system that we're supposed to have will be letting you down in some way. So, for example, if there's a target that you're looking at and your eyes are what we call esophoric, which means that they overconverge. So instead of aligning at the target, they, 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 they focus in front of the target, then your accuracy will be off. And it can be even something as silly as um, think of a gym, gymnast who might be running to do a vault. And, you know, we've all watched the Olympics where gold, um, silver and bronze are, you know, it can be tenths of points or mill milliseconds and you're running and to do that vault and it's really important where your foot placement is you go over the line you're, you're you're excluded or perhaps if you're short of the line then where your hands then hit the vault and you spin will be slightly out so of course these tiny little misjudgments can make a big difference um, and if your eyes aren't focusing together that esophoric eye will be always short of the target Whereas the opposite, which is exophoria, where your eyes diverge and you'll have a divergence excess, you will you'll go beyond it. And it can also produce sort of maybe a clumsy player. And this can also be affected as the player goes through a game or a match because dehydration can play a big key um, point of this as well. So sometimes you're looking at a player who perhaps starts uh, a game, a match really, really well, but towards the end starts to become a bit clumsy, makes more mistakes. So you're looking at forced errors injuries perhaps get set on the bench because they miss tackle towards the end of the game and this can be a sign that the visual system is starting to get tired and letting the player down and of course it's not just about being an elite athlete i i'm a very good snooker player or pool player if you're if you're in america and you know i know that when i don't play with my glasses on which is hard enough as it is because of course the line of sight is right at the top of the frames but i know yes. when i don't wear my glasses i can be playing a shot and literally, it won't do what my brain thinks it's going to do. So I've lined that shot up. I'm all straight. I've got good technique. And I know that my eyes are sending a wrong message. And I hit that cue ball, that white ball, wrong. Absolutely. Um, I mean, I'm a, a terrible snooker player, especially having been taught 
by my brother a trick shot and managed to get the ball through the patio glass doors <laughs> when I was about 13 years old. And um, no, I'm not a great snooker player. Although I do think the angles off the cushion um, when you bounce the ball are, are fascinating for, I think, a math- mathematician. <laughs> However, yes, you're absolutely right. And even glasses can make a difference. I mean, we've, we've looked at studies with um, golfers and, um, you know, if, if you think about your glasses, they're probably quite flat to your face and that's called a, a two base. So it's to do with the angle of the way that the um, the lens sits against your eye. But um, actually, there was a, a, a big golfing study has been done looking at a wrap lens. And a wrap lens, you probably see people, you know, these sports stars, particularly cyclists and things. So it fits quite tight to their face. Now, um, one of the benefits of that, obviously, is wind resistance, protecting their eyes, stopping your tears. If you skied, you'll notice that your eyes can water a lot because they can get dry. Um, but actually, uh, one of the main reasons here is by using a wrap frame. If you think about the eye, how it rotates, the eye is rotating within a socket. So it's actually following a circle. So actually what you're doing when you wear glasses, is you're putting something flat, flat in front of a, an eye that's on a circle. So actually, if you look through the edge of your glasses, you're further away from the lens than if you look through the optical center. And of course, depending on prescriptions, the further away you go from the optical center, you start to get um, peripheral um, issues to do with um, something called prism, where actually it can get diverted. So they spent a lot of time looking um, at a golfer who's putting and using different base lenses and realizing that actually there could be errors, even when the golfer thinks that he's in perfect alignment, because actually not only maybe the eyes are not lining up properly, but then add a pair of glasses and they're not lining up properly because perhaps there's peripheral aberrations and prisms involved. Let's go back for a moment to to the kind of tests that you would carry out. So imagine I'm a cricketer. I know it's a big jump. Imagine imagine I'm a cricketer. Talk me through some of the sport-specific tests that you would carry out on me. Okay, so I think the first thing, if, if you're a cricketer, I would want to know is actually how well you can see. So we do something where we actually look at vision. So we tend to call vision acuity is something that we've measured. So your acuity is wearing glasses, but also we want to look at your unaided vision. So we're very, very keen to look at um, monocular vision. So what does your right eye see? What does your left eye see? What do both eyes see together? Then we're very, very keen at looking at um, vision at low contrast. And we always look at low contrast vision because low contrast is cricket on a cloudy day, cricket when it's uh, the typical English cricket day with the grey clouds. So we're interested in how the eyes um, react to that. Um, someone who's got you know possibly amazing vision um, in good daylight, but then um, really drops in low contrast. Um, could be that their focusing isn't very good, their tear film isn't very good. So we would always have a look at vision to start with. Then we'd move on and look at something eye dominance. So eye dominance is, is particularly um, prevalent in sport. Um, we have two eyes, but we always have a dominant eye. That eye is our fixer. The non-dominant eye comes to it. So normal dominance would be right-handed, right-footed, right-eyed, but you can get cross-dominant, which is where you're right-handed, but you're left-eye dominant. Then there's also the friendly cyclopses who I do love to um, <laughs> pick out in sports. So the equidominant ones are the ones that really don't know where, where their, their dominance lies. And when you do the dominance test on them, tends to waver a little bit. Um, this is always quite funny. Um, they tend to be quite clumsy and actually they don't tend to be the elite athletes. Because if they're swapping dominance all the time and they can't decide, they'll often be very competitive and very enthusiastic, but they'll often be on the bench. They'll be the ones that get injured. 
and often not the ones who are in the elite sports teams. Um, so the cyclopses, as I call them, um, you know, tend to make forced errors, make mistakes. So dominance is key. Um, and there's some interesting facts with cricket about batters and bowlers and dominance. And we've done some studies looking at elite at, um, cricket teams um, with dominance. So once we've looked at established dominance, we would then do start to look at some other things about how your vision behaves as a system, binocularly, as a pair. And we look at things like the HAL chart, which is giving us an indication of how efficient your binocular system is. So is your right eye aligning with your left eye or is it drifting off? Um, you know, how, how, how are your two eyes behaving? Um, because in this, it means sort of how well are you tracking? How well are you tracking the speed, position and arrival time, for instance, of a ball flying at you? Um, we always do Brock string as well. Um, the Brock string is probably one of the most simple looking things. When I think I've probably got about half a million pounds worth of kit in my testing room, and then I pull out a piece of string with some beads on it. But I love the Brock string because it is so very, very um, simple, but it really makes an athlete understand when their eyes are seeing. Um, and what it tells us is how the eye muscles are working together as a pair and where those eye muscles a landing. So I've tied Brock strings to the top of basketball hoops. I've tied them to volleyball nets, um, rugby posts and all sorts, because the thing about it is it really demonstrates to the athlete where the focus should be and where their focus is. Um, and lots of errors on the Brock string would um, sort of start to uh, tell me that there's um, maybe the vision's great, but the eye muscles are out. And so that visual system is, is much more liable to, to break down and perhaps cause errors. So we've done with this sort of vision, then we've looked at dominance, then we've started to look at the visual system as a, as a pair. We look at dynamic fixation as well. So this is how fast these external eye muscles are working. So we have six eye muscles that um, control the eye up, down, left, right, and we're one of the only species that can rotate our eyes as well. So not only is our right eye doing that, but our left eye needs to do it and work with it as well. So for instance, you do get people who, when they look up, um, their eyes perhaps divert more than they should. When they look down, they overcross. So of course, if you're in a sport where you're looking up a lot to catch a ball or you're looking down to um, kick, kick a ball, you know, these, these things can make a difference. So dynamic fixation is a speed test. Um, when we do it with teams, we always pitch them against each other with a leaderboard because all athletes are competitive and it makes them work a little bit harder. Um, so we are having a look at this. And we also will do it a few times and we'll also see if they're making lots of mistakes? Um, and are they doing it by memory? Are they doing it by moving their eye muscles? Um, and it also tells us how susceptible their muscles are to fatigue, dehydration, and stress. So um, players that don't do very well at this, we would then perhaps pick them out and suggest that they need to do some peripheral vision training um, a little bit more. So once we've looked at all those things, I would also then start to look at sort of things like color tints, um, glare, and eye brights. Um, if you think of a cricketer that's playing, for instance, I've been at Trent Bridge a lot this year in England and Trent Bridge is quite a famous cricket pitch, but you have the beautiful grass, then you have all around the edge, the adverts. And if you're watching any sport, there's been a lot on this summer. Um, I think not only are these adverts not static anymore, but they're moving, they're digital. So the ball flies up, there's a digital advert. Then you've got the crowd, the crowd are all sorts of different colours. Um, maybe with their phones out and then up into the sky. And depending on the day, the lux of light with the clouds, blue sky, dark sky, the eye has got to track that ball across so many different backgrounds. 
Um, and so we look at color preference in eyebrights because it will indicate to us um, where a player's eyes and how they respond to things like sunlight, camera flashes, complex backgrounds. And um, can we improve their visibility of the ball um, by preventing visual stress, which is glare um, and um, color? So we're doing all of these things. I would probably do a bit of crazy catch with them because athletes like to move. Um, this also lets, gives me an idea of accuracy, speed, um, peripheral awareness, um, and also repetition. So some eyes, if they're really good, are great straight away, and then perhaps they start to make errors. And again, um, I'm very interested in not just how good they are in a small snapshot, but you know, if you were in a cricket game for three hours, how well does that visual system perform maybe three hours later when they're dehydrated, tired, the sun's gone in, it's getting dark, we're getting to that flat light in the evening. What happens to the visual system then? And what we're doing is we're collating all this information and starting to pick out the people that perhaps um, might need a bit of help. You've got me wondering, actually, if you're talking about, um, for example, teenage uh, athletes, so you may have a football academy, a cricket academy, a soccer academy, a baseball academy. And I know that coaches there look for very specific things with regards to how that athlete is going to grow up. So they'll check their height and their body mass and their heart uh, and their teeth as well. I know they look at teeth in terms of, uh, of, of structure and strength. From what you're saying there, there are certain eye conditions which can, in fact, predicate that someone may not be very good at what they do. Have I understood that correctly? And should that mean that, for example, academies who are dealing with 10, 11, 12 year olds should actually be testing um, their, their children's eyes as a way of knowing if they could actually have that extra two, three, five percent that could be the difference between being an OK football player, an OK cricketer, an OK American footballer versus a star? That is a really great question. And um, I see this quite a lot. Um, so there's sort of a twofold answer in that. The first one is, yes, you are absolutely right. And I do see a lot of children. I'm a passionate believer that um, particularly following COVID with increasing myopia in the, with the world, so myopia management, short-sightedness, we're encouraged to have our kids outside more. There's too much screen time, not enough outside time prevalence of diabetes. We're all becoming obese. So I'm a big believer that we need to get our kids outside and moving. Um, and I really, really encourage all my patients at Park Vision to be sporty. And of course, along with that um, is often contact lenses and things like that, because, um, you know, although glasses, we're passionate about glasses at Park Vision, contact lenses um, can often get give better peripheral vision. And obviously it's easier to move in them. And I do have children, um, you know, in Nottingham, we have the Ice Arena. So we've got ice stars. We've got cr a lot of cricketers and more and more playing football now, particularly girls and things like this. Um, and the academies. Um, and the academies are also interesting because um, it will often be the ones who are desperate and, and, and working really hard. And I think you're absolutely right. A child perhaps who doesn't have good stereopsis. So for instance, a lazy eye. Uh, if you actually look at perhaps a young footballer with a lazy eye, versus a footballer with with perfect vision they will both perhaps have the same skills but when you get to elite status one will go on and one will not and I am quite honest with parents um and I you know say it's wonderful this is absolutely amazing that they're great at sport and of course what you can't take away is competitiveness and passion and there will always be a sort of one that goes against the rule 
but I am very conscious of just giving a little bit of a warning that they might not meet the elite status. Um, and I think this is quite important in elite athletes as well. I mean, um, I was screening for an academy, a cricket academy, and they were very excited about this young star who was actually 17 years old. Um, they were really trying to hothouse her through, going to put her in the elite team. She was going to be amazing and really, really had her sort of pinpointed as the star of the future. And I remember her coming in uh, to part vision and she probably had the worst binocular vision I've ever seen. And and to be absolutely honest with you, absolutely, I was absolutely dumbfounded that she could even catch a ball and be in that elite academy that she was. And it almost to the point where I thought, well, there's no point me doing sports vision because everything about all these tests, she was just dreadful at all of them. But they were telling me how great she was. She had got into the academy. They were hot housing through to the elite athlete status. And I was really almost then sort of, is everything that I'm doing wrong? Because I'm about to say, well, she's failing everything and, and I'm, I'm, I'm slightly concerned. But then thinking, well, perhaps competitiveness, strength, something is getting her by. But actually, she's not in the team anymore and she got dropped. Interesting. And um, so you are absolutely right. And I think it's a very tricky one because you don't ever want to discourage people from enjoying sport, being part of sport. But I think there is a point that you could manage and take away maybe that that they're going to be elite. Perhaps they'll be great. They'll be great athletes, but perhaps will never be totally, you know, reaching that elite point. And perhaps what we should be doing is is a lot of the time when I see children with lazy eyes or things, perhaps they don't have to do that sport. So rowing, for instance, running um, sports that perhaps aren't quite as hand-eye coordinated. Um, so a lot of the children, if I get, I see an awful lot of children um, with dyslexia and things like that, where eye dominance and tracking sometimes isn't very good. And a lot of these children, I say, are they are you sporty? Because it's a key question because they tend to be clumsy and they can't catch a ball. And often, yes, really sporty, but it won't be things like tennis, table tennis, ping pong, rounders, cricket. It might be something with a larger ball. Perhaps it might be second row rugby where there's a lot more um, tackling, a bit less throwing. It might be that they're swimmers. It might be that they're runners. It might be that they're rowing. So I think we can still encourage, but I think we can perhaps direct and say, look, you might not be um, the most amazing squash player in the world, but perhaps have you thought about rowing? <laughs> um, because I think it's important that we we encourage and and direct. And of course, when we think of remedies, we, we think of, of frames, glasses, lenses, contact lenses, but there are other elements, aren't there? For example, can you train someone to see better? You mentioned peripheral vision earlier on. Can you train someone to see better? And can someone also, for example, take supplements to see better in the same way as they would as an athlete take supplements to build their strength or their endurance? Yes, absolutely. Um, as as you would train anything, um, you know, I think a lot of people, it's a known fact that we're not the hunter-gatherers that we were and we don't use our peripheral vision nearly as much as 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 we should. Um, so training is um, the uh, SVT, uh, dynamic fixation, uh, which are sort of these static boards that a lot of elite athletes they'll have in their team rooms, changing rooms, fitness rooms. Um, where they look straight ahead and we're looking at um, peripheral vision lights and reaction times. There's a lot of very new vision training um, kit coming onto the market now, um, things like the right eye tracker and other tech 
systems where uh, it's computer-based and actually the tracking cameras on the screens, you literally follow balls and blink and and there's great things that look at things like pursuit, saccade and fixation. And what these are doing is looking at how the smooth, fine motor reactions of the eye muscles are. Uh, and then there's all sorts of programs that they do. And it's a scoring system. So this is where we want you to be. Perhaps this is where you are now. And they can do sort of 10 minutes a day on a screen um, and improve. And I think most athletes are used to training. They're used to training you know, their arms, their legs, they're used to trying to compete and get better. And I think if they can see themselves getting better, uh, they're always like to do to do that. So there's definitely quite a lot that we can do in terms of obviously vision. Yes, again, um, things like there's so many great contact lenses. I mean, when I qualified quite a long time ago, um, our options were limited. Nowadays, I don't think there are many eye prescriptions that we couldn't fit. Um, we're just so much better at um, making them that, you know, we can almost create and custom make a contact lens now. Um, so that's available, which gives better peripheral vision. And then, of course, I'm very hot on supplements. And, you know, we look at things. Um, we have an MPI at Part Vision, which looks at macular pigment. And they've done an awful lot of studies. Um, the macula um, is the most sort of central point of vision on the retina. And the macular pigment, I always try and say to my patients or liken to as the guards um, guarding the, the macula. And the, there's, there's a lot of known um, studies that the macula is responsible for absorbing the high energy visible light at the back of the eye. Um, so good at protecting the retina, but also those with high macular pigment are supposed to be um, really good at dealing with glare. Um, and so again, um, things like macular supplements, which is uh, zeaxanthin, mesozeaxanthin, and lutein, are these pigments. And they do. We, there's been studies that when people take them as supplements, it improves macular pigment and their glare um, sort of ability to to deal with glare improves. Um, and interestingly, they've looked at sort of athletes, for instance, um, tennis players who you never really see wearing sunglasses. And when they've tested them on these uh, on the MPI, they've always had really, really high scores. So is it that these these people are particularly good outside? Is it nature versus sort of nurture? Is it that they that they're very good because their their ability to see the ball is so much better? Um, it's difficult to see. And of course, omega three uh, and vitamin D are your dry eye supplements. So again, we have a tear film that sits in front of um, on on the cornea. And the tear film is this beautiful um, three-layered structure that gives us great vision. Um, and it's the first window, if you like. And the mybum, which is the outside layer, is a lovely oil layer, um, which gives us great optical surface. And if that's mucky, greasy, um, broken down, then it's a bit like trying to see a ball through a dirty windscreen. So it's really important that we look at not just you know, the visual system, but actually the visual structure and the number of times I get involved with cleaning athletes lids, cleaning the mybomium ducts, which are the, the oily producers in the eye. Um, because it's a, it's a bit like, what's the point of having a great racing car if, um, if the windscreen's covered in, in dead flies? Yeah. Um, you know, it's about the whole kit and the system as a whole. You're talking there about what you can do outside of the big sporting event and i get that and also i get what you can do during the sporting event if i'm a relatively sedate golfer or perhaps a snooker player to use example we spoke of earlier on but what if you are the rugby hooker what if you are the american football linebacker what if you're even 
the boxer. What can you do while they're in action? Okay, so I think um, a bit of prep for a start. So um, I do lecture my athletes about too much phone time. So you'll see them often with their downtime before they play. Maybe they've been on a coach for a while. They're in the team changing room for a while. And depending on their vision, particularly the long-sighted ones, they do not want to be stuck at their phone um, because the vis- the muscles, you know, adapt. So think about um, you sitting in a chair and I give you two bicep weights and say, right, for an hour, I want you to hold these and, and flex your biceps and sit there for an hour. Now, if I then took them off you, you don't just straighten your arms. Your muscles have kind of got stuck in that position. And so what you've also got to remember is looking at something close is called, you know, is accommodating. The eyes are converging. So we're using our eye muscles and actually you're using them. So you wouldn't say to a footballer, go and run for an hour before you go and play football. Yes, they're going to warm up, but they're not going to weaken the muscles. So, you know, depending on their vision, stretch your eyes into the distance. Yes, put music on, but maybe stretch your eyes out into the distance. No phone time before. Uh, Yes, contact lenses. We use contact lenses a lot, particularly soft lenses. Um, you'll often see a rugby player sometimes putting a fresh contact lens in their eyes. Um, a lot of them don't like sports, actual sports performance glasses with straps that, um, go behind their head and that I think it can reduce their peripheral vision and actually they feel vulnerable. So it's almost like I don't have great vision. Um, I don't, and, and it's surprising how many athletes really dislike, um, the sports. It's different if you're cycling and you have them as sunglasses, but actually in contact sport, um, it's, it, you know, they don't like um, the sort of eyewear. So we do try and fit with contact lenses. There's a great thing called Ortho-K, which is a night therapy lens. So if they're short-sighted, um, when you're in off-season period, you can fit Ortho-K lenses. These are lenses that they wear in their sleep. When they wake up in the morning, their vision is corrected and then they wouldn't need anything. Um, but yeah, they do wear soft lenses. I've just corrected a boxer with Ortho-K lenses, actually, which has changed, changed his world. Um, so we do as much as we can. The idea is also, I think from the point of sport vision is we're not trying to rubbish athletes, particularly the elite athletes. And I think it's really important to go in there. Um, they can often be a little bit cagey, a little bit defensive. I think they think you're going to go in, screen them and say they're rubbish off the team. My, um, take on it is you're already an elite athlete, but supposing I could make you 2% better. That marginal gain. Absolutely. Supposing I came in now with a pair of rugby boots and I said to you, I could make you run 2% faster in the next game, you'd wear them. So I'm not here to say that you're you're not good, but what if I could make you slightly better? What about if I could make you pick that ball up and, and your reaction time was faster and you played a better game? And I think that's the important thing. Um, and also to do changes when they're not in the middle of a season. Um, you know, you also have to remember that an athlete will have trained and trained and trained. So um, a great example is myself, actually, who I think part of the reason that I'm obviously not an elite basketball player anymore is because I managed to crash and smash my way off the basketball court at a tender age of 18 um, and was so clumsy and always hurting myself. Um, And actually, when I used to play one of my, I was the um, height, high point player which did a lot of the shooting and I would usually take the free shot when we got um awarded a point now if I stood there we would practice for 30 minutes at a time just throwing the ball at the at the backboard in the net all the time and I knew as soon as that ball left my hand whether it was going to go in or not but actually when I got tired I would always hit the rim always hit the rim 
But, you know, if you hit the rim a few times, what would you do? You know, you've got to push the ball a little bit faster. So although my eyes are telling me that I was on point, if I keep hitting hitting the rim, I'm going to adjust for that. So actually now I know that I have one eye that wobbles and my eye turns in, which makes me incredibly esophoric, which means I think things are closer than they are. So my eyes were kind of lying to me, but I still made England status because what I did was I just adjusted because I knew I had to push the ball further. Now, actually, had I worn contact lenses, my accuracy and perhaps therefore my injury might have been better. But then, of course, what I would need to do is go and do something else. So when I'm changing something, you know, when I stand, there's a there's a point where I've done it so much, my body almost does it automatically. So what I try and say to athletes is therefore to go and practice doing a sport that they're not familiar with. So if we have fitted them with lenses, therefore we've slightly changed the way they might be um, perceiving things and where that target is. And it's the target that perhaps they've trained and trained and trained and adjusted for, go and do a different sport. Even if it is something ridiculous, like keepy uppies with the ball on a racket, go and play tennis if you're a rugby player, go and do something completely different and let your vision reset before you come back in. Because although we practice and practice, it's in a game situation where you have to make a fast reaction that you can then make the mistakes. So um, it's very important if you are going to mess with someone's vision that you do it off season when they're when they're they're not perhaps in full training and don't do it right before an important match because if you throw their confidence, um, they will lose all confidence in you and what you're trying to achieve won't happen. A couple of thoughts uh, I want to finish with, and you mentioned their uh, vulnerability in athletes, and that leads me to think about the psychological side of the work you do. I know a few athletes, not not naming any names, but they can be quite defensive bordering perhaps on prickly um and they're certainly very image conscious as well so how do you integrate these two elements into how you look after athletes specifically um i totally agree with you i liken um most athletes to race horses they are very usually kind of finely tuned um slightly highly strung and need a lot of care and attention um and they're actually quite vain as well um you know, they have a lot of people looking at them. They they have their ways of doing things. Um, I think you go in gently. I think you make it very clear that you're just trying to make them even better. Um, and actually, through all the bravado, most of them uh, don't have as much confidence as, as you think that they do. Um, there's always someone coming up behind them. There's always someone going to be better than them. And there is always that slight nervousness. They're getting older. Maybe they're losing their touch. And I think this is the point that you're there to make them the best version that they can be. You're there to work with them. You're there to help them. And you're there um, to make their visual system um, work for them and get them better results. So I think you go in carefully. Um, you help them with their kit. You try and obviously, um, you know, support all of that on and off the pitch. And, you know, a lot of positive strokes. And I often said to an athlete who is going into competition, um, who's maybe flying out to do um, a team sport, um, you know, your vision is the best that I can possibly make it. And I think whenever an athlete steps out onto a court, a green, uh, a pitch, you know, I would like to think that they think that their vision is the best it can possibly be because a lot of matches is psychological. And I'm sure these athletes very much come to you because you're an absolute leader in your field. But to someone listening to this, I don't know, in America or Australia or wherever, 
Do you recommend they actually go looking for local sports teams to work with, perhaps even as a new revenue stream? And align with that, what does an optician need to do in order to practice in this field with with confidence? Um, I think one thing you've got to have is be absolutely passionate about sport. And I think if you are going to approach a team, I think more opticians, I wish more optometrists, dispensing opticians would get involved in this because I don't think vision is recognised enough. Um, There's a very slightly worrying statistic that came out. I think it was the Athens Olympics that only 24% of the participating athletes had had an eye examination. Wow. Which, if we think of sport, that's a bit of a shock. And where all the money is going into um, things like nutrition, dietitians, you know, health, strength and conditioning coaches, even what pillow they're sleeping on, I don't think enough attention is spent looking at vision. And I think if more people got involved um, and went to teams and helped them understand and educate them in the importance of vision, I think sports vision would be more um, widely recognised. So I would encourage people to go to the team. I think, first of all, um, make sure you understand the sport you're going into. Um, As we've talked about, athletes are vain. Uh, They will not accept you if you call, you know, a golf iron a stick or uh, something wrong. And also, Eve, I don't even think I I know much about a sport. This is where YouTube is your friend. Go on YouTube. I've I've been up till midnight sometimes before a screen watching athletes, watching, you know, videos of them. Because I think what we have to remember is we might not be as good athletically as them and we might not understand the sport as well. But what we do understand is vision. Yeah. And most optometrists should have a very good understanding, not just of vision, but the binocular visual system. So coming into an athletic team, just have a look at what the sport they've been doing and what sort of binocular vision tasks that, you know, think about it, think about it from an optometry point of view. What is the sport they're doing and what visual requirements are there? And then just have a think about, you know, looking at all those aspects. And there are sports vision um, diplomas and, and things that you can get involved with. Um, they're out there. If you you have a Google, um, you can do the sports vision courses. Um, but just remember that they might be a bit intimidating in their athletic stand- standards, but you are the healthcare provider and you are the one that should understand their binocular vision better than them. Michelle, you've been absolutely brilliant. Uh, on a personal level, for the last 37 and a half years, I've wondered why I didn't progress beyond Bushy Superstars football team. Uh, and I now understand that the 12-year-old me stood no chance because of my vision. And I just really wish that someone had pointed this out at the time, that it wasn't to do with my football skill or my height or my, my nimbleness or any of those. It was basically my eyes. So for that, I'm very grateful. <laughs> Above all, this has been absolutely fascinating and what i can hear with you is your passion for the subject and your passion to get fellow uh, opticians and optometrists involved in the same subject because of course as you say it's important that vision becomes central to the way we look after our athletes and our sports people for anyone who wants to find you and your business where do they do that uh well you can find us out there on the big world wide web we are www.parkvisionnottingham.co.uk Uh, We are very prevalent on Instagram and Facebook. Um, You will find us under Park Vision. The links are on our website. And if anybody wants to contact me, it's michelle at parkvisionnottingham.co.uk. Michelle, thank you. Uh, I've really enjoyed this and I'm looking forward to meeting you at Silmo uh, later on in the year. Uh, It'll be great. Looking forward to seeing you in September. 
Wasn't she brilliant? And part of me thinks we could have done another hour on that and still been left with so much to talk about. Don't forget, you can see Michelle speak at the Silmo Academy as part of this year's Silmo Trade Fair in Paris. More info on that and on the whole show at silmoparis.com. Please do also seek out the other episodes from this series and from previous series. Everything you would be interested in hearing from top experts in your industry talking about your industry. Do click on follow to be notified of all future episodes of The Right Optics. And if you've got a moment, perhaps you could leave us a review too. It really helps to get the word out. More from me at the beginning of September and then, of course, a series of episodes from Silmo itself. Until then, from me, Nick Coffer, and The Right Optics by Silmo, it's goodbye for now. <laughs>